The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today and joining me for the show. I'm Diane Ray. This is Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. And I hope that uh, you can give us a call and join the conversation today because I have a fabulous guest. And the call-in number is 816-251-3555 if you'd like to join the conversation today. So I'm really happy to welcome my guest. I've worked with him before in the past uh, over at Hay House. He's an amazing author and teacher, Dr. Ken Druck. And Ken's pioneering work over the past 40 years, encapsulated under the heading Courageous Living, has included executive coaching, consulting, visionary leadership, the psychology of men, parent effectiveness, Healing After Loss, Resilience, and most recently, and what we're going to be talking about today, Courageous Aging. And he's been featured regularly in national and international news, including CNN, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. And Dr. Ken has shaped our worldview of what it means to live honorably, courageously, purposefully, purposefully, and fully. So Ken has just got some incredible cred behind him, and I'm so glad that he could tune in today. Now, Ken will be filming a PBS special and touring on this material that we're talking about today, Courageous Aging. So I hope you check out his website for updates on this, kendruck.com. So, Ken, thank you for joining me for the show today. I really appreciate it. Diane, what a joy to be with you again. Uh, I only wish we were sitting in the same studio, but this is wonderful nonetheless. I'm so glad to be with you. I do too. I know it's it's been a while. I've been following your work and I just finished your book Courageous Aging: Your Best Years Ever Reimagined. And I I really liked it. I mean, I think this should be required reading for a lot of people, you know. And and it, I got a lot out of it, especially since I'm getting up into, you know, the years <laughs> myself. Um, it's something that we all have to have to deal with and face. So, we hear a lot about racial bias and gender bias. But age bias is just as big an issue, right? And, you know, I'll be honest with you and come forward and say, you know, I don't like to tell my age. You know, I I lie uh, about it often and I want to be proud of where I am. So your your book really kind of gave me some tips and, and focus on that to, you know, just really be honest with myself. But I wanted to talk a little bit just first about age bias. I mean, it, it really is an issue, isn't it? Diane, it is so deeply embedded. You know, at first when I started writing the book and doing the research and really looked at this whole area of courageous living, if we're lucky enough, we get older. Not everybody gets older, but if we're getting older, how do we manage that? And if we have opted in, even unconsciously, to all the messaging in our society about what it means to be getting older, And we are in fear and dread rather than saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what do I think about this? What do I want this to be? How can I make these coming years some of my best ones ever? But it starts with 
a self-audit where we catch ourselves and we, we take honest inventory of all the bias we have internalized. And it's out there for sure. I mean, even just in myself, like I said, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable sometimes really being honest with other people and, and telling my age, you know, like like it's a big deal. And I'll say it, okay, 53, I'll admit it to everybody, <laughs> you know, but why is that a big deal? I mean, why should we be afraid to be the age that we are, that we are? And and I think a lot of it is, and especially for women, I don't know if it's as bad as men, but we feel like we just lose so much as as we get older and that Absolutely. we're not as valued and we're not as attractive and all of those things. It is an invitation to misery or it's an invitation to free ourselves, to gain that emotional freedom, that confidence, that path to joyfulness that is right there, right next to the path to being miserable. And it's the conversation we have with ourselves in the mirror every day. You know, some of us don't even know that we're really talking to ourselves. We look in the mirror, and we're looking at the older version of ourselves. It's not the 25-year-old that we were, or the 35, or even 45. It's the older version, and how we speak to ourselves, how we treat ourselves, how we look at ourselves is so critical to the quality of our lives, there is such an amazing opportunity for us to awaken and to transcend all of these biases, all of these judgments and valuing. Because, yeah, as we get older, we get diminished. Our value, we get hung out on the 99-cent rack. We start getting called sir and ma'am, and people start putting people in a box, and we do it to ourselves as well. And that box limits us, it fills us with misinformation, and it really dulls our future and the possibility of making, uh, having some of our best possible years. And tell me the catalyst for putting this book together, this particular project. Was this you kind of coming to that place yourself and, and asking the hard questions? Yeah, you know, Diane, you know me well enough to know that in every chapter of my life, in every season of my life, part of my awakening and part of my saying, how can I make this time? This is what I have. It's, it's now. How can I make this some of the best time of my life? How can I face into the issues rather than retreating, hiding, denying, repressing, avoiding, running away from? How can I you know, arrive in a place of integrity, arrive in my own life and create my best possible present and future. And so for me, having gone through all these seasons of my life, I kind of looked down at my watch in my mid-60s and I said, hmm, isn't that curious? How did this happen? When did this happen? Here I am at this point in my life. I have people, I look around me and I see a lot of people my age dreading the future, joking about it, putting themselves down, retiring and into irrelevance rather than uh, retreading, repurposing into a, a joyful time of inquiry and deepening and spiritual awakening and fun and, uh, and intimacy, all the things that are waiting there for us. And I saw a lot of people fall off the deep end and, and they were staring into the abyss. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to let that happen to me. 
I'm going to wake up. I'm going to I'm going to summon the courage as I've been asked to do in every season of my life. I'm going to summon the newfound courage that I need to face into these issues, get my heart around them, get my hands around them, and to design, to reimagine the future in the way that I want it to be, in a way that makes my heart sing. And I've seen that a lot in my friends, too, and and people just kind of avoiding it. And I mean, other cultures don't really seem to have the kind of hangups that we do, or, or, or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we're, we're just not talking about it like other people are. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think if you look at the cross-cultural issues around this, you know, in India, if, when you turn 60, you're just waking up. Your life is just starting. You have experience. You have confidence. You have all. You have deep wisdom, sage wisdom. There are things you've learned. You've acquired skills and abilities. You have a perspective on what's truly precious in this life, and you you begin a whole new developmental phase of your life. So people, you know, people in India and in some parts of India, they fight over who's gonna, who are the parents going to come and live with. There's a, a battle rather than outsourcing them to a retirement community and trying to distance ourselves because our parents, watching our parents get older is so uncomfortable and painful and difficult and we dread the future. You know, in India and parts of the world, we cherish people as they get older. We see them as a tremendous resource and we don't fear. We we face into those fears we overcome them, and we can talk about what some of those biggest fears are, but we face into them, we make peace with them, and we get to the other side of it, of the fears, which is excitement, curiosity, and being living, being willing to live in the mystery of what this life is. That's so true. Here it seems like we don't want to be reminded of it. We kind of warehouse people, and in other cultures, like you mentioned in India, you know, there's more... Uh, second and third generation, you know, families living together, where here in in the West, it doesn't seem like that's as much of the case. So yeah, maybe just, you know, seeing our parents age is kind of a sign of our own, our own mortality. (laughs) So we don't want to look at it, you know, we're we're afraid of it. And and talking about the fears, though, I mean, what do you think is probably the biggest? Would that be physical decline, the biggest fear people have? Well, people will say, you know, and I, I'm, I'm having the opportunity to go around the country now and meet with, give workshops and discussions and keynote talks about this, and I listen to what people tell me their biggest fears are. And there are two of them. One of them is, of course, dealing with the whole idea of impermanence. It's like, God, it's really hitting me now. This is a lease deal. Life is a lease, you know, and, and at some point I've got to give up the lease. I've got to deal with you know, the, what my own true sense of what happens when we die. What is the end of life? What does something else begin? What are what are my spiritual beliefs, my religious beliefs? What do I sense is the great beyond? and Or does life end here? And I think it becomes the curriculum, you know, rather than elective credit. And the other fear is... I don't want to become disabled. I don't want to suffer so many losses of what's precious to me, my ability to walk, my ability to think clearly, to process things, my independence, 
that I'm afraid that I will become a the diminished version of myself and rendered invisible to others. So I'll just be a fixture and I'll become a burden to those people that I love. And I think that's the other greatest fear. So how do we put our house in order? You know, the reason I wrote this book is because how do we put our house in order emotionally, spiritually, physically, legally, financially, with our families, interpersonally, so that we are, not that we're anticipating dying, but that we've really put our house in order and we've planned for our best possible future. We've communicated what that looks like to the people that hopefully will be there, our families and our loved ones, our people or our partners, and that we've really, you know, you don't buy life insurance because you think you're going to die the following week. You buy it so you can live out the rest of your life at peace, knowing that people aren't going to be left with a legacy of chaos that your legacy is going to be one of love, not chaos. Right. And if you don't address those things at this time, then that is, is what's going to happen, chaos. And, and I've seen that. And you had, had helped me with a, a situation personally with a, a friend of mine that had her mother pass away. And I just knew that none of that was addressed in, in her case. You know, the conversations had not been had. You know, decisions hadn't been made and the result was was devastating, you know, for this exactly. person. I mean, you, you know who I mean. Yeah, <laughs> a, a friend yeah. of mine that, that you helped um, yes. when her mother passed. And in just, you know, not addressing those things can really leave an, an emotional, uh, you know, wasteland where people just don't know how to handle it when it does exactly. happen. If, if you don't you, do that. You, you don't want to leave your family in the middle of a crisis not knowing what you want what you would have wanted, or having to unclutter. You know, one of the things I did a year ago, I, I said to myself, you know, how do I leave this legacy of love, which is actually one of the chapters of the book, and not a legacy of chaos? And the way you do it is by one of the things you do is you don't leave a mess. And I started really paring down all my stuff. So if something, God forbid, happened to me, my daughter and my wife would not be left with a mess, a year's work of work, trying to figure out what to do with all this stuff, where it is, how to organize it, how to get rid of it, and so on. So I've organized everything. I actually hired somebody to help me, you know, to hold my hand while I went through, even including my mom who passed away a couple of years. I have all of her stuff and her parents' stuff. You know, I have, uh, as you know, I've, uh, our family went through a tragedy and lost my oldest daughter, Jenna. I have all of Jenna's things. You know, what do, how do I put that away? What do I do with that? So I've had to organize all these things so that it's not somebody else's problem, that people will say, God, he really loved us, he thought of us, he has not left us in a mess and a quandary to figure this out at a time where we're grieving and we're, we're grieving is hard enough. We don't need to be left with a, a technical mess, a legal mess, a financial mess. And this is something that siblings need to talk about. This is something siblings need to talk to their parents about. You know, we need to learn how to open conversations with the people we love about these issues, even though they're uncomfortable. And the reason I wrote the book is to show people how, how to do this. How, how have people successfully opened conversations on issues that formerly would have been prohibitive? 
where somebody would have said, hey, I don't want to talk about that. How do we how do we open those conversations in a way that are welcoming, that are caring and respectful, that are not don't leave somebody with the impression, especially an aging parent, that you know, hey, I'm not dead yet, you know, as one parent commented recently, because their their child, their adult child, approached things in kind of a crude and insensitive way. Right, and you uh, reveal steps in the book that we can take so that we can have these conversations. And it is so important. And I've seen it just around me and in my own life. I mean, when, when my father passed, my mother had everything in folders and, you know, I we knew exactly what was going to happen and where things were going to be. And it was just such a a relief not to have that extra pressure, you know, and, and hassle to do that and pain. And then uh, another friend of mine, her father passed last year and left, you know, three storage bins full of stuff, you know, storage units, as well as a full garage. And she had to sift through all that stuff, you know, and it took weeks just to find the will. I mean, and it was just so much added stress and hassle that that didn't have to didn't have to happen, you know, if if she had had those conversations. You know, and this is one of those things. This is one of those things in all of our lives that would be so easy to turn away from. Like, oh, this is so depressing. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to talk about this. And yet, by by dealing with these things, we free ourselves and we free our families so that we can focus on the joy, so we can focus on the, on the, all the things that are there for us to enjoy Let's deal with the stuff that needs to be de- deal with. That's how we act responsibly. That, for me, is an act of integrity. And then let's go have fun. You know, let's then go out and kick up our heels, and uh, then we shift from courageous aging to audacious aging, or irreverent aging, or lightheartedness. You know, or making peace. All the things we can do to make peace with life and life's terms. Well, starting to take those steps in the book, the first step is doing the courageous aging self audit, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm still kind of working through this. And even you say in the book that, you know, you might want to take some time with some of these questions, you know, really think about it. And so that's what I did for the first part. And this was really interesting to me. And I had some things come up um, that we could talk about, you know. And for me, one of the interesting things that came up was, you know, changes in your personality that you like, and then changes that you don't like, that you notice getting older. And there was Uh an incident that happened with me just recently to tell you um, changes that I've noticed. So normally in, in in my past, you know, professionally, I was always kind of the nice person and kept my mouth shut and just didn't want to rock the boat and kind of, you know, sailed along in that way. And recently in a situation, I was given feedback and told that I was coming across as pushy and and kind of bitchy in a way. And and on the one hand, I thought I was shocked. I'm like, what? You know, that's never happened. And then on the other hand, I'm like, really? They really think that that I'm that, you know, strong quote kind of bitchy person. And it just was like it was just a real a revelation, you know, to me that maybe, you know, the good part about getting older is that, okay, I'm going to stand up more for myself and say how I feel and that I think X, Y, and Z should be done this way, you know, instead of just trying to keep the peace and and not say anything. 
So yeah. I, I had I hadn't really realized that, but I thought that was one of a, a revelation that I came across. Oh, that's a great one. That's a great one. You know, sometimes <laughs> one of one of the things we lose, one of the, sh- the skins that we shed, sometimes as we get older, is that if we've been a pleaser and a caregiver and a caretaker and an accommodator and deferring our own needs, sometimes to the point of of self abuse that we haven't really taken care of ourselves and and we get to a certain point in our lives and it's like okay I'm I'm kind of done with that you know I need nobody's going to take care of me in the way that I can take care of me I've got to be looking out for my needs I've got to be speaking up when somebody's done something that that hurts or that's frustrating or that's driving me crazy and and I'm going to start using my voice. Part of my ripening as a human being is that I'm going to use my voice. And I may not, you know, it may change the way some people look at me and my image as the person who's never going to rock the boat and, you know, who, who, who won't upset the apple cart. But, but you know what? I'm willing to go through that because it's too high a price to pay to not use my voice. It, it costs too much. And I think that's that's kind of what I hear you saying is that, hey, I'm ripening into the stronger, more assertive version of me, the person who's more direct and forthright. And there are some people that are going to judge me. Oh, my God, isn't she acting like a bitch, you know, or isn't she nasty or, you know, whatever. And I need to I need to get past what other people will judge me because maybe my directness isn't as comfortable or convenient for them. I need to get past that and let people know and soften my tone to let people know that this is what I'm doing to take care of myself. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just what I know myself well enough to know that I need to do this to take care of myself. And if they can't deal with that, if they can't value my well-being, then, hey, who are they to begin with? How important is this relationship to begin with? Right, exactly. It was so interesting to kind of realize that and uh, and think, okay, well, you know, these are some, some changes that I'm noticing that I'm going to navigate. And and the audit is great. I mean, I, th- I really think everybody should do this and Thank you. really think about, you know, the answers because you're going to get little light bulbs going off like like that one. Um, and just so many more. I mean, the book is just so rich. Um, the other thing I like that you that you mentioned um, was the introduction in chapter four. There's a quote from Brene Brown in there. Um, Midlife is when the universe gently places her hands upon your shoulders, pulls you close and whispers, it's time, you know, wake up, like, if not now, when kind of thing. And I'm, I'm feeling those, uh, those feelings as well, you know, the the sense that, hey, you've got not unlimited amount of time like you felt you had in your 20s that this is the time to take that class you wanted to take or take a chance on something you know so let, let's address that we're going to go to break in just a, a couple of seconds but i want to talk about you know that that wake up call that we get at this time and also Beautiful. if people are out there that want to join us if uh you're a curmudgeon and you want to comment, <laughs> or, or even if you're not, uh, give us a call here uh, at the show, 816-251-3555. I'm Diane Ray.
Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate. Because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Look who's making a difference in the world. It's the New Thought Walden Award honorees. Profiled in Unity Magazine, the September-October edition, Unity has joined with its New Thought partners to honor 27 leaders serving in the areas of spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. These are people you need to know about. Pick up Unity Magazine or go online to WaldenAwards.com. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore and other legendary Unity teachers with Reverend Bob Brock and Unity Classic Radio. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central, Bob shares original radio transcripts from the Unity archives with truth students worldwide. Explore these timeless teachings and learn how to apply them to your life today. Listen live or on demand. You can also connect with Reverend Bob on his Unity in Action Facebook page. Tune in every Tuesday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm so glad you could come in and join us after the break. I'm talking with Dr. Ken Druck about his book, Courageous Aging. And just before the break, we were talking about the wake-up calls that we get at midlife and beyond. And the universe kind of shakes some of us. And in some, in some people, it might 
manifest itself in buying a Porsche or a divorce or something like that. It doesn't even have to be that, that dramatic, but just people kind of tend to do things like that. But really at, at this time in our lives, it's an invitation to, you know, wake up and see how we can contribute, right? What are different ways that we can leave the world a better place than it is right now? And and you yeah. talk about this uh, so eloquently in the book. So what do you think about that, Ken, about well, ways you we know, can, we, you know, move forward and contribute? Yeah, you know, I think we, we can wake up on a very personal level, and it's very personal. Everything changes when we look in that mirror for the first time, and instead of pointing out how old we look, it, we look with self-compassion. We look at ourselves, we embrace ourselves as we are, you know, we we are we speak kindly and lovingly and supportively and encouragingly, you know, to ourselves rather than critically and like look at you, you know, and you know who can, who's going to love you or you don't look anything like or you don't you know you're not anything like the younger version. When we grieve the loss of our younger self in a healthy way, we arrive in gratitude and we and, and we want to say thank you for the life that I've had and and the youth that I had, and the things I've been able to do, and even though I'm in a new season of life, I, want to, I don't want to have a heart of resentment and, and grief and, and, and cynical, being cynical or being critical. I want a heart that's open, and that's open to, a, to a, a wonderful new season of life. And I think, so on a personal level, that happens, but it also has tremendous social implications, because with a heart of gratitude rather than a heart of resentment where we're kicking and screaming into our 60s and 70s with a heart of gratitude we can look back and thank all the people and the, all the things that have happened to make our lives good and rich and wonderful all the people we've learned from and on whose shoulders we stand all the people who've enriched our lives we have a heart of gratitude even and towards ourselves as well for summoning the courage and strength to to do the things we've done and when we have that heart of gratitude then we naturally organically want to pay it forward we want to plant a giving tree that our grandchildren our children and future generations can sit in the shade of you know we want to do something good even though we might not be here to witness it and that's a lot different than somebody who's angry and scared and kicking and screaming, who wants to take it all with them, who's just oozing resentment and anger and whose heart is closing and whose life is contracting and getting smaller and smaller. So we have to decide, who am I going to become as I get older? Which version of getting older am I going to cultivate in my daily life and practices? So also in that process, I'm thinking, what if... You're in the situation where you, I guess we, we have to also have gratitude, but also be gentle with ourselves where, you know, there might be regret. What if we did things that we're ashamed of when we were younger? Or we, were, we were much different people then, you know, to also be gentle with ourselves in, in that respect, you know, when we're doing that self-evaluation and, and looking Absolutely. back, you know, being able to let go. Absolutely. And you talk about that in, in the book. It's important to be able to do that, to forgive ourselves, I guess. If ever there was a time, Diane, to to learn to let go, 
to forgive ourselves, to let go of long-held grudges, you know, for things people did and and all this, you know, or anything that was born of our insecurities or our arrogance or our stubbornness or our resistance, if ever there was a time to unload that, to unburden ourselves or to unburden our families of those kinds of grudges or jealousies, you know, or, or insecurities that we projected into those situations, it's now, if ever there was a time. And that's part of the work. That's part of the opportunity. God, we get to, we're finally arriving at a time of life where we can do this, where we can let go of stuff. It's time to forgive. You know, it's time to forgive ourselves. It's time to let go of that old narrative of, oh, I could have and should have and would have and didn't do. And, you know, I, I could, you know, it's all that regret, remorse to, to let it go and to learn how to do that, to release it. Because when we do that, we make room in our hearts. We we begin to reimagine, and our creativity is unleashed for reimagining what we could be doing, what we could be creating in these new years and new seasons of our lives. Because there's no limit to what we can do and what we can create. You know, I spent time a wonderful Saturday a couple of weekends ago with an old friend named Norman Lear. And you might remember him from All in the Family. And, you know, Norman Lear has been a force, and he's an icon in Hollywood. And oh, yeah. Norman is, is 96 years old. But I, I, I don't have any friends who are 50 years old or 40 who are as vibrant, clear, creative, alive, socially responsible, um, excited about life, warm-hearted, open-hearted as Norman Norman is. He's completely present. You know, you, your show is called Being Present. I've, I've rarely been in the presence of people who are as present as Norman Lear. And at age 96, he's a wonderful example for all of us. But I think he's done his work to get to that point. He's gone through the seasons of his life. He is healed and forgiven and let go. And, and yet he still has his strong convictions. And his heart is still... And he uses his voice, and he still knows what's pre- what's precious, and he's working in his legacy of what he wants to leave this world. What a great example! I'm I'm a big fan of his, actually, Norman Lear. He's great. I mean, from All in the Family, um, all the great TV that he gave us over the years, and he was in that uh, documentary recently with Carl, Carl Reiner, who I exactly. think is he's in his 90s too, isn't he? He's, Carl no, Reiner, Carl or, uh, he, if not, he's close. <laughs> he's close. He is. There are so many people in their 90s now who are just kicking butt. They are just so alive. They're bringing together all the elements of a life well-lived. And, of course, they all have, they have made mistakes and taken missteps and miscalculated. They have all the stuff that all of us have. But learning to let it go to free ourselves of all that, to ask for forgiveness, to give forgiveness, to apologize, to make amends, all those things, let's free ourselves. So for the rest of the ride, whether we have 100 years left or 50 or 5, let's use those those years and those days and those moments with an emotional freedom that we've never enjoyed before. So true. And that, that was such a great documentary. I think it's called... If- if I'm not in the obits, 
I'm alive yep. or something like yep. that. If you if you don't read this in the obits, it was Carl Reiner, uh, Norman Lear, Dick Van Dyke, and just showing too again how important it is to do the work that you're talking about because people are living longer. So we could be on this planet a lot longer than we think we are going to be. And so we this work is, is so important to do. And one yeah. of the other things you talk about in, in doing this kind of self-evaluation and, and cleaning things up is, is working with our relationships too. You know, having those conversations, forgiving those people that we think might have wronged us or, you know, some, somehow, um, cause problems. I mean, and those might be difficult conversations to have, right? But but it's important to at least try. Exactly. You know, I, I think not only those people we've had conflict with, you know, this is a time of softening. You know, some of us have had, we've been at war for too long. We've been fighting, we've been defending ourselves, protecting ourselves, and and righteously, you know, being being righteous in the world. And it's time for a little bit of softening. It's a season of gratitude and of softening and forgiving. And I think, you know, so not only do we have the opportunity to do that in our closest relationships, as you're saying, you know, because we we need to have those conversations. We need to get past it. I, you know, my mom in the final years of her, his life, her life made peace with her brother, her little brother. He had married his he had married a woman who really wanted him all to herself and separated him from his family. And my mother was very hurt for many years. And as they got older she started forgiving him and she spoke to him and she said, you know, I just have missed you so much. You mean so much to me and he finally got to a point in his life where he was able to tell his wife, you know, I know uh, you know, I know this caused a problem for you, but I'm not going to relinquish my love and my relationship with my sister. And so they got closer, and, it, and in both of their final years, they enjoyed an intimacy that was just waiting there for them. And I think, you know, we, we shouldn't cheat ourselves out of those kinds of opportunities. You know, let's let's put some of that stuff behind us and free ourselves for things we could, didn't even imagine were possible and with ourselves as well but with our relationships, of course. Right. So important to do that. And again, if you'd like to join us, 816-251-3555 is the number to get in touch with the show. And uh, we have a caller here on line two. And can we go to D on line two? Hi, D. You're on the air. Thanks for joining the show today. What was your question? Well, my question for you is, um, you know, on the one hand, I can see that having not lived through aging parents. I don't have the example of how to do it. On the other hand, um, maybe that's an opportunity uh, for me not to be limited by the examples that weren't set. So my question for you is, what advice would you have for someone who doesn't really know how to grow old? Well, (laughs) it's such a wonderful question, Dee. It's such a wonderful question. You know, I, first of all, you growing old is an option getting older isn't you know uh if if we're alive my god we're getting older but getting mm-hmm. old and whatever that means to us about oldness we have to really look at that and the second thing is i i i love what you're saying about hey you know i have only have a script 
that goes up until 51 or 61. You know, what do I do? How do I how do I fill in the experience of number one being a caregiver to a, to an, a parent who's getting older, and all the things that I would learn from that, and all the ways that that might help me deal with my own age. You know, I'm 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 going through something similar. Uh, my dad died at 69. I just turned 69, so I'm going through the year that you know his life ended, and looking at my God, you know, what's the script? And and I don't know if you were listening when I told the story about Norman Lear, but yeah. I I make it a point to spend time now with people who are in their 80s and 90s because I want a sneak preview. First of all. I want the benefit of their company. Second of all, I I want to learn from them. I want to hear about what they're going through, what their challenges are, how they're meeting those challenges. Um, you know, I I I want to learn from them. So there's nothing holding you back from spending time with people who are a little older, who might even be your parents' age, and finding and creating opportunities to do that, so that you can have that kind of interaction. Granted, they're not your mom or dad. But you can learn a lot from watching them, and it can illuminate your own path and what you want going forward. So those are a couple of things that I would suggest. I like that. Thank you. That's very helpful. Great. That's so great. Thanks for the question, Dee. I really appreciate you calling in and listening. Thank you. You're welcome. That's awesome. And you you did talk about that that very same thing that that Dee brought up in the book, Um about like reaching that milestone that may, that your parents didn't or that your yes. fa- that your father didn't. So it's yeah, just, we, it's in, just interesting kind of the, the things that we have in our head, you know, like, yeah, I, I, it's, it's understandable and it's natural that D is, you know, asking yourself, my God, am I, do I have a genetic program here where I'm only going to be around? Do I need to start facing the the idea that I, uh, my own mortality at the tender age of 53 you know or you know is my time going to run out and i think how to hold that without fear but to hold that as an inquiry to say all right let's play let's just take this thinking experimental step into the future using my imagination which is one of the greatest tools that we have and let me imagine that i would live to my father's age what would i do with the next eight years or let me imagine that i'm going to live 20 years longer than that what would i do with those 20 years how do i want to live my life and what would i do tomorrow to start that journey and i think that way you know none of us we we don't get to play god we, you know, the the how long we're going to be here is in bigger hands than ours. Um, I don't ask me to explain that any further. I, it's for me, it's a mystery. But, but how we live each day. You know, the Benedictine monks get up every day. And the first thing they do is to say is to go into meditation that it's their last day of life, and how they want to live it. But I think there's a little bit of wisdom in our stopping and saying, you know what, nothing's guaranteed. My longevity isn't guaranteed. How do I want to live my life from this day forward? How can I make peace with the idea that, uh, that, that, I, you know, that I can take care of myself, I can uh, do things, I can exercise, I can eat the right foods, I can do a thousand things to, to invest in my own longevity, my own vitality, my own health but that ultimately 
you know, it's it's going to be in bigger hands than, than mine, and I've got to live each day as though it matters the most. Right. That's so true. And, I mean, I've done that myself, uh, kind of what, what you and Dee were, were just talking about, where, you know, my father had Alzheimer's, um, my mother had cancer. You know, I, I know a lot about my my family tree, but yet I also know that I'm not in, you know, it's not slated that that's going to be my fate. You know, I don't have to follow down those same footsteps. You know, I, you can take uh, steps to live more uh, healthy, eat better, exercise. I mean, I know that physically I'm in a lot better shape than my mother was at, at that age. So yeah, you're right. Like being able to to take control and not feel that you're uh, destined for, you know, the same kind of history or this or the same kind of fate that your parents had. Exactly. That's that's so important. Exactly. And I wanted to ask you too, you know, talking we were talking about relationships and um uh, you address being honest in the relationships as we age and you know, facing those uncomfortable facts, you know, and I think this was you that said this, every relationship will end. Maybe maybe it was in the last time we were talking we were yes. talking about um and I was you know, I was just thinking that's so true, like whether it's death or divorce or something, like it relationships will end and you just have to be honest. And you describe talking um to your fiance about, you know, who would take care of who and, and how that would happen and just kind of alleviating your fears. And I thought that was really powerful. I mean that that's something I have to do as well, you know, in my own yeah. relationship. Although I think we know each other's uh directives like if, if i was advanced directives yes yeah you know hit by a car or something like that you know he would he would know but i mean just kind of alleviating those fears i think yeah. it's important to have those honest relationships or honest I, conversations I so. in your relationships i think it's so important and it puts us at peace when we put our house in order when we work out all the legal and financial things so it doesn't fall in somebody else's lap when we're clear and our family isn't sitting around trying to figure out what to do at a moment where they are grieving horribly and and missing us. We don't want to complicate that. That's already going to be difficult enough. But when we put our house in order, physically, spiritually, emotionally, that's the work. That's the work we get to do from age 50 up, you know, or maybe even earlier. That's the work. And when we when we do it, we get to have a quality of life, uh, a sense of ease and confidence that we've really put our house in order, and now we can go have fun and live in that house and and uh, and do this and make the rest of our life an adventure. Make every day count, and and know it with that emotional freedom behind us. And you had that similar relationship, like you described in the book, with your fiance, or a similar conversation where. You know, you said, okay, well, this might happen where you would have to take care of me. And, but then again, you never know what's going to happen in life. You might have to take care of her. Like just giving each other those reassurances that, look, I'm, you know, I've got your back. I'm, I'm going to be here for you and honor your wishes as part of putting exactly. things in order. Exactly. You know, recently, um, you know, my, my fiance, uh, had a situation. Her her best friend died of ovarian cancer 15 years ago, leaving a young boy, uh, her son. And she, as one of her dying wishes, she said, "Please take care of him and just watch over him." Well, he grew 
up to be a 24-year-old heroin addict. And he called my fiance um, about three months ago saying, I'm probably going to be dead within the next week unless I get myself into some kind of a detox and rehab. Well, we've gone through three and a half months of detox, rehab, and him trying to create a life of a foundation for a life of sobriety. And it has been exhausting and consuming and challenging and and but it's what she it's the promise she made and it's and that she has kept to do something that gave her best friend peace and knowing she never know would know that it came to pass in this kind of an expression, but it has. And every day that we help this young man, and he has another day of sobriety, um, she is at peace knowing that she has been the kind of friend that she promised she would be. And I think, you know, all of us have situations like that, you know, where we are operating, honoring, and operating in good faith for somebody who has passed, and doing something that would, that in, in service to them and as a way of honoring them, and showing them our love by handling a situation they asked us to handle or that we know they would want us handling. Right, right. That's so that's so important. And also, in um, talking with other people in my age group, uh, other things that people are avoiding in putting their house in order is doing a will. And I was surprised that so many people that I knew didn't have one, and I really need to sit down and, and write everything out you know, so that's something like that. If that was the case, people would know what I wanted. You know, they'd be left with that kind of information. And yep. it, it's important to do that, you know, to let it's people critical. know what it's you so want. Critical, you know, what kind man. of what kind of funeral do you want? I, I went to one. Um, this was a few years ago. You remember Debbie Ford, right? Yes. And um, was a good I, friend of mine. I went to her uh, her memorial and she had planned out there. everything. It, it was incredible. I think, were you yep. there? Yep, and John McCain. How about John McCain two weeks ago? Right, exactly. Another you know, another great example of John you know, making sure that your, yeah. your wishes are fulfilled. John wanted to leave this country a gift of showing us what integrity, what unity looked like, what it meant to come together, even with people you disagree. He choreographed a week of ceremonial services after he died, that would help teach us and show us how to do that and why it was so important. It was brilliant, and it was it was a parting gift. It was a parting, loving gift, and of his legacy. And yeah, when we do that, you know, my son-in-law is an estate planning attorney, and I get to hear all the horror stories of what happens financially, the devastation to a family when a will and a trust aren't created for somebody, the devastation to a family on a financial, legal, logistical basis is is horrific. So those that's something we all need to do. We need to handle it. And it's worth every penny of that we invest in doing it. Because the alternative having our family having to go to probate or there being no will, there being no design for how they want things hand, how we want things handled, how our finances are going to be handled, our, the, uh, because the law 
will take over to the extent that we haven't taken responsibility. So it's a critical thing that all of us need to do to put our house in order. And you're right. It could be such a nightmare if you don't do that. And and I've seen that happen, especially when there's property or money involved. And then you start getting family members fighting amongst themselves. And these kind of things can just drag on for years. It's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. And the price of avoidance, once again, is much greater than whatever it costs us, whatever discomforts, temporary discomforts we have to endure to open the conversation and to create these structures for our families. It's, it's the, the price of avoidance is horrible. So true. And just in, in preparing to talk with you about this, I was thinking about John McCain and how he had everything planned and how Debbie had the music that she wanted and the cupcakes that she wanted and everything was just perfect with her personality and just a, a perfect touch on it. And it got me thinking like, well, well, what do I want? You know, I want to play at a big party and I want it to be this and, you know, this kind of music and, and these people here and these kind of flowers. So I was kind of having fun with it <laughs> as I was thinking yeah. of how I would plan, you know, how would I actually plan that? So it's interesting. Well, we're just about wrapping up. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining me today. This is such important information. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.